0: Welcome one and all to the Emerging Cricket podcast. I'm your host Nick Skinner and this week I'm joined by Nate Hayes with Daniel Beswick taking a well-earned rest and Tim busy as often he is in Vanuatu with lots of cricket going on there. Nate, first of all, how are you? I'm doing really good. I'm I'm super
1: busy and it I don't I can't even tell what what day it is most of the time. But uh but yeah, doing really good.
0: Yeah, a lot of cricket going on in North America and I guess the main reason we got you on is uh, in your capacity as Emerging Cricket's uh, USA correspondent, and we've just seen the Major League Cricket run its first season. You know, there's always a lot of scepticism around cricket leagues in the US. Uh, Peter Del Pena always said that he'd believe it when he saw the first ball bowled. Now, we've seen every ball bowled. We've seen the final run and done. We've seen a winner crowned. What are your overall thoughts of the season? Uh, this is a pretty big achievement by any standards because so many leagues have you know, attempted to run and, and failed before they could even get off the ground. So at least it's happened, right?
1: Yes, I've been blown away, to be honest with you. Overall, it's extraordinarily been a positive experience. And I think uh, Major League deserves an awful lot of credit, as well as the many, many, many people Who have collaborated with Major League to make this happen and it's it's been it's been an incredible thing to witness so yeah it's been really amazing now obviously in the course of it it's it's hard to look at this before it happened and imagine what it was going to be like and imagine what you're going to come out with at the other end and what what ideas you're going to have and what you're going to see what what it'll expose and, and where it'll fall short and all these things and I came out on the other end looking at things so much differently. It, it, it's, that's to me one of the biggest benefits of it is like I, I'm seeing things very differently now about what the potential of the league is, what the limitations are for the league and for, for cricket in the USA. And obviously we've, we've acknowledged a lot of those limitations in the past on this podcast and in our content, but it, it, it really brings, you know, you're, talking and thinking abstractly in those points but this is this is real this is concrete this this actually happened and it's opening up a lot of possibilities as well so that's been really exciting to see that is is the next big thing is really to kind of people need to hold their feet to the fire hold major leagues feet to the fire and their investors and everything and say look this is an opportunity this went really well this was very successful and we need it to be even more and I think that that's the next big thing is to acknowledge where it where it succeeded, see where it's created new opportunities and new possibilities, and really dig into those things and try to make sure that those things actually come to pass.
0: So before we get into a breakdown of what worked and what didn't, uh, just to sum up the results, the Mumbai Indians New York franchise were the winners, uh, coming back from a fourth-place finish um, with... Uh, a, a pretty impressive late run from Trent Bolt taking three four-wicket hauls on the trot and a three-wicket haul in the final and a whole pile of death wickets. Uh, he was pretty unstoppable at the back end of the campaign, which which helped them turn it around after they'd got off to a pretty poor start. Uh, so they, they squeaked into fourth place with a wet sail, uh, winning their last three matches. The Seattle Orcas were runners-up after topping the table, so, you know, dis- disappointing for them. They couldn't quite get over the line. Uh, Texas Super Kings uh, finished second in group play, but lost both of their uh, finals matches. They they lost the the qualifying finals to the Orcas and then lost the uh, sort of second bite at the cherry one uh, that they get. Uh, they lost that one to Mumbai Indians. Uh, Washington Freedom came third, and they were pretty anonymous, to be honest, in their Eliminator. And the Unicorns, the San Francisco Unicorns, the Sparkle Army, Uh, They were pretty meh coming in fifth. Uh, They didn't get to the finals, but they did have the same uh, number of wins as the Mumbai Indians, but they had an inferior net run rate. And, of course, poor old LA Knight Riders came last with a a pretty poor outing, if we're honest. So in the final, Mumbai Indians home pretty comfortably in the end. Nicholas Poran hit 130-odd not out, uh, so... Made pretty short work of the chase and, yeah, a comfortable victory in the end. So one point to make about the Mumbai Indians that, you you know, you might get to is that they had a pretty solid amount of local players, which uh, was, was not necessarily the case for all teams. But yeah, I guess looking yeah, looking kind of broadly, you mentioned that some things exceeded your expectations and and some things didn't work quite so well. So so we'll start with the positives, you know, what 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 were things that worked and and what are things that worked better than you thought they would?
1: Well, well going back to the to the teams. Uh you mentioned uh Mumbai Indians. You mentioned that, that they featured a lot of domestics. They did. They get way too much credit for that if you ask me. Everybody played five domestics and they're playing 11 every game. The reason why, why sorry, I called them Mumbai Indians, which is hard to do. Their branding, unfortunately, makes everybody do that. But the New York team, the MI New York team, or My New York, as they want to be called, they featured a, a lot of different domestics because none of them really performed from the start. You know, the only one who really was consistent was Nosh Kinjigay, and everyone else really struggled. And it, it's it's a... It, honestly, it, it was it was the Trent Bolts on their team. It was the fact that they have Rashid Khan, Trent Bolt, and Puran and Tim David. These are players who are not only extremely good overseas players, but but they are all doing well at the same time. So that's what really pulled them through. Aside from Nosh Kinjigay, they didn't have consistent performances from any of their domestics. And because they drafted the way that they did, they had to they had to play their domestics at the top of the order in the batting order, because um, they didn't really bring a lot of overseas openers. So finally, we got some performances out of um, Jahangir, who really should have started the tournament um, with the bat for for New York, considering the the form he was in coming out of the World Cup qualifier. Considering the other two batters were in terrible form coming out of the World Cup qualifier, the other two batters being Monok Patel. And Steven Taylor. But Jahangir didn't start on the team, but he did in the second game. They put him in, and um, he actually had a couple of really good innings for them in the tournament. But the only player, the only domestic on their team who performed at or above league average was Nosh Kenjige who actually led the tournament in economy. And yes, he didn't bowl a ton of overs. Uh, And and he bowled one over in his last two games, and I I wouldn't be critical of New York for that. He made a big difference against Washington in the two games that they played Washington because that New York team matched up great against that Washington team. Washington didn't have a left-handed batter until the number seven or eight spot, depending on the situation, and that enabled New York to comfortably play two spinners that turned the ball away from right-handed batters, which, which gave Nosh more time gave Nosh basically two more games in that tournament where he could prove himself as a valuable asset w- without even having to bowl a ball it, or, or you know he did bowl in those games, but he, he showed that he's irreplaceable. So it, they had such bad luck with their domestics that it was like, well let's just put Nosh in. we know at least he's going to give us a great effort in the field. He's going to get anytime he does anything good, it's going to energize the entire team. and when we need him to bowl, he'll be fantastic. And he was. He was absolutely fantastic. But of course, for marketing reasons, you're not taking the ball out of Rashid Khan's hands. And for performance reasons, you're not taking the ball out of Rashid Khan's hands. He's a magician. So it, it made sense to me that there were times that Nosh didn't get his quota or didn't even come close to it, but they still put him in the team, which goes to show how much they value him on the team. And just having that option to put him in, in the attack whenever they needed to uh, was valuable enough for them to just basically um, risk not playing a batter. So that's,
0: to me, Mumbai gets, or sorry, New York once again. Look, I, I don't think you can, like, what does MI stand for in their American branding? I mean, it's Mumbai Indians New York. What, why are they keeping the same name and then trying to change the name, but also not change the name? I, I, I mean, it's very you, frustrating. Can't, you can't have it both ways. No, you
1: can't. And, and And every time, there were so many times where I would say, Mumbai or or something, it's the very first letter of their name, you know, M-I, Mumbai. It's a very weird branding decision, but you're not going to tell them what to do. Let me tell you that. You're not going to tell that team, that franchise, what to do. (laughs) One of the things that I, one of the reasons I think they get too much credit for their domestic handling yeah. Okay. Great. They played a lot of domestics in, in important parts. I think in part because I don't think they necessarily had the smartest draft. They they benefited a ton by having a huge break between their third and fourth games. They had almost a week in between their third and fourth game, or like at least five days. And I think that when they were one and two to start, they needed that time. And they in that meantime, they almost acknowledged the fact that they kind of had drafted poorly by flying in Xavier Marshall and giving him a trial and then flying in Slade van Staden from South Africa. This is these are two openers. So they they obviously weren't happy with Steven Taylor and with Monon Patel's uh output. Yeah, Taylor had a bad
0: tournament, that must be said.
1: Yeah. Yeah, t- yeah he did. He he was good with the ball. He was very consistent with the ball as we as we know he's going to be. He was economical at the very least, but if you're an off-spinner on a team like New York, you're a part-time bowler. You know, it, it, you're you're there for your bat. and, and He did not produce with his bat. This was a tough tournament for anyone coming in in bad form. We saw Faf, who played terribly the entire time. One of the biggest reasons that TSK lost both of their playoff games was because uh, Faf never clicked in the entire tournament. One of the biggest reasons why the Unicorns finished fifth place was because Finch didn't do well the entire tournament. So when you have a star captain who's a frontline batter and they flop, your team in, in a five game regular season, your team's not gonna, you, it doesn't really have much of a chance. So, yes, like once as I as I was saying, MI New York get too, get I think a little too much credit for playing their, their they play oh they've had so many locals in and out of the team, Well, that's because none of, none of, not many of them did well. Uh, and, and they didn't bring Kyle Phillip, who, who this was a this was a shocking thing to me was you draft Kyle Phillip. Yes, Kyle Phillip gets called for chucking in, in the uh, World Cup qualifier, right? It's no secret in uh, associate circles and especially in American circles that Kyle Phillip chucks, right? So including him in that World Cup qualifier team was almost asking for him to, to get suspended. So you, you think they should have done a bit more
0: research before they drafted him?
1: I think they should have done maybe some more research before they were drafting him or if they draft him you have to think well they see a lot of potential in him he has tons of potential Look, I mean look at the guy's frame he has a lot of potential he has some work to do for sure but he bowls quickly he's tall and he's a strong young man my thinking is okay you're going to bring him in the team you're going to you see a lot of potential for him and a team with, with all the coaches. The great coaches that MI New York has, I thought this was good. I was thought, okay, well, if he's going to be suspended, it's great that it's happening before Major League Cricket because now we know, you and I know, USA aren't going to put any resources into him being uh, correcting his action. USA Cricket are just going to cast him aside and go with the next guy in line. They're not going to invest in Kyle Phillips' action. So my hope was that MI New York would invest in Kyle Phillips' action. They didn't. They left him at home. You know, they didn't bring him. So that's frustrating to me. And I asked their coach, Robbie Peterson, in one of the pressers, you know, do you feel that New York, had, as as it, as one of your draft picks, do you feel like you have a duty of care for for him? And he well, he he's the one that actually said the phrase duty of care. I said, do you have a responsibility to help him out? And he said, yes, we feel we have a, a duty of care to help Kyle Phillip fix his action. He's not here right now, but we have intentions of, on helping him out. I'd like to see them put their money where their mouth is because um, the way I see that franchise there's they do a whole lot of things extremely well but they're they're pretty cheap too when it comes to when it comes to anybody but their superstars <laughs> they're a pretty cheap franchise and yeah, I'd love to see them put their money where their mouth is and help Kyle Phillip and and give him because like I said USA is not going to do it so yeah I think Mumbai Indians New York got too much um, credit. Obviously, the orcas had good production from their domestics, with uh, Naman Anwar and Ganon coming in well, and I thought the freedom were, were underappreciated for their domestic output. obviously Sorab, who I think was the best domestic bowler in the tournament, he you know, he, he took his quota in really difficult times. He took very big wickets. He the, the batters he got out were huge and in very important points in the game. You you see Nicholas Poron have one of the best T twenty innings ever, scoring 130 runs easily, never even giving a half a chance in the entire innings. And then you, you look back in the tournament and you see Sorab making him look silly, bowling him clean middle stump. So, you had a tremendous performance from Saurabh for the Freedom. You also had at or above league average output from Dane Pete, who is, is a right arm off break bowler who actually, who actually was very economical uh, and critical against the left handed batters. And then you had Owis Pinar, who, in his uh, limited opportunities batting at, at, like, I think number six, he actually produced at league average uh, in that role. Um, it's, if you look at the ball-by-ball production and the average ball-by-ball production in the time periods that he batted. And I, so I think Freedom deserves a little bit of credit for, you know, utilizing their domestics well and, and planning their domestics well around their overseas players. And that was one aspect that these non-IPL franchises had an advantage early in the tournament. They didn't have a brand that they that they had to stick to. They didn't have this expectation of, of fans coming to see them who wanted to see FAF or, or or things like that. Yes, they did have big name overseas players, but they played. They could put the best eleven that made sense on the on the ground on the, from day one. They could they could say, okay, well our team makes more sense this way. Yes, that means so and so and so and so are on the bench, but this is a brand new brand. We don't have to play DJ Bravo to appease our fans. You know, we can play the 11 that that actually makes sense for us. And so that made it so that the non-IPL-branded teams had a a much better, faster start to the league than the IPL teams, who in the first 10 games of the IPL-branded teams, they they only won three. IPL-branded teams only won three of their first 10 games. And then they won, well, I think they went three and two the rest of the way or something like that. But, but yes, they, they turned it around. And New York, you could see following the league closely and being around it you could see that New York was picking up steam and once it clicked for them and they got that matchup against Washington it looked like it it made a lot of sense that they would end up in the final and then at that point it's anyone's game whoever has the biggest day on the, at that point but uh but that's that was one of the cool things about the league to see these non IPL branded teams and how they had an advantage and then to look at the IPL branded teams and see how they had their own advantages it it was really neat to see what each team does well and what they don't do well. And that's part of what worked and what didn't, if you ask me, as far as the league goes, uh, the Texas super Kings team had the advantage of basically being at home, uh, in Texas at that new, at that new venue. And they have loads of fans that would come out in force to, to support them. And they did a great job of giving away, you know, a lot of merchandise to, to, to keep those fans waving their flags. And, You've been here. You you
0: and I went to the Durham Bulls last summer. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. That was fun. Especially when the Mascots car broke down. That was that was good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the mascots go-kart broke down, and that was maybe the most cheer-eliciting moment of the game, except for the very end when they won. <laughs> so you've seen a good minor league baseball venue and you know how how good that is. How good a good minor league baseball venue is. I would say that this new venue in Texas is a is the equivalent of a good minor league baseball venue. So there you go. You've been to a good minor league baseball venue. You understand that I'm actually giving it a compliment by saying that this cricket ground in
0: Grand Prairie is equivalent to a good minor league baseball stadium. I think this is this is where cricket should be aiming for in the US. You know, these these big dreams of like filling up 30, 40, 50,000 people stadium i mean that's ridiculous for a number of reasons and you know if you if you're getting a kind of minor league level crowds and an atmosphere that's a really good sporting product and, and that will attract a, a lot of people to to come and you know buy tickets so I, I think it's where cricket should be aiming to be uh so yeah i i totally agree
1: yeah it's absolutely where cricket needs to aim now here's where it blew me away i knew this this venue used to be a, a minor league baseball venue of course they. They stripped it down. They totally rebuilt it cricket specific. It is a proper cricket stadium now. Um, it holds I think 7,200 or 7,500. But there's plenty of space. If they want to bring in temporary stands for the World Cup, they could easily get another 5,000 temporary stands there. Like that. That's without permanently adding to it. Easily, there's plenty of space for them to expand this permanently or temporarily. But but, the, but what blew me away was I was expecting, at best, a good minor league baseball experience, which would have been fantastic to achieve that. But what I got was something even better. And it was, you go to a minor league baseball game in the USA, you could talk to 100 fans in the stands, and you ask them to tell you what the batting lineup was the night before. Or, yeah, name, name 16 players on either of these teams. And they're not going to be able to tell you because... People in the U.S. don't, by and large, baseball fans in the U.S. don't follow the day-to-day gameplay or, you know, the results of of minor league. They go to the games for the experience, to have a beer with some friends, eat some tacos, and talk while you get to watch really good baseball. And, And, you know, appreciate some good plays and things like that. But you're not really that invested in what happens in the game, There's the minor league baseball seasons are very, very long, so if you lose today, no big deal. But by and large, most people don't care about the outcomes of minor league games, baseball games. So where this major league upstaged minor league baseball is that the most of the fans there were there because they had a team they were cheering. They cared about the outcome of the game. You know, obviously, a lot of those fans were Texas fans. When the Texas played, uh, almost everyone there cheered for Texas. You know, Chennai's Super Kings have a huge following around the, around the world, and they showed up in, in, in droves. Now, the Unicorns had a good, decent fan base, too, because they were smart to include a couple of Pakistani players in their team. So that meant that every Pakistani cricket fan in the area was showing up to cheer for the Unicorns which was really cool to see also. Um, and then, of course, you have the Afghani fans that showed up to cheer for New York,
0: to cheer for Rashid Khan. Peter Delapena has a good article about that, if you want to look at that. It's, it's on Crick Info still. Yeah, Peter's put out some great stuff about this tournament,
1: so definitely check out a lot, all of his articles. He's just pumping them out, making everybody else look bad. <laughs> <laughs> but really, the atmosphere was better than minor league baseball by, by, by a large degree um it was like a major league baseball final every game you know i mean i'm like a minor league baseball final every game my fault it was not like a major league baseball playoff like that it was about obviously major league baseball playoffs going to have the same uh, uh, you know passionate cr- crowd but it's going to be times 5 or 6 because of the size of the stadiums but but this is this was a am- it was the atmosphere was terrific People were watching every ball. They were waving flags. They were blowing whistles, which was kind of annoying. <laughs> but but by and large, like, the atmosphere really sold me. You know, I love Church Street Park, and I got to obviously go to all the Church Street Park games. The atmosphere at Church Street Park was incredible. Was It's always good there. It's always a wonderful at, uh, atmosphere. Some people were worried that the new permanent stands would, would, would take away from the charm. It didn't at all. The place was jammed full every single night that they had games <clears throat> of course as you know people trick in trickle in a little later at church street because the game started five. so that atmosphere was terrific Amon and i when we were at the first leg in in texas when we were talking about man this state this venue is really nice this atmosphere is great morrisville is not top dog anymore is what we were thinking and because we're such morrisville fans we're such church street park fans there was a little bit of like Maybe a little sadness, but really what we were thinking was Morrisville needs to step it up now. This is going to make Morrisville step it up. But my thinking really ultimately is is not, okay, let's start talking crap about Morrisville. It's it's the fact that we, we could see the problems with More, with Church Street Park so clearly after this tournament. We could see all of the limitations of Church Street Park so clearly. That goes to show how well the Texas venue, the the impression that it's left. Obviously, Church Street is still... A absolute gem, and it, it retains the charm and, and also the variety of having a basically a park, which is Church Street Park, versus a stadium. Having both of those in the same season feature in the league is really cool, and I think it's it's it's, it's great, it, it's it's excellent, and it needs to continue. But I understand now what the limitations are for um, Church Street Park. So much clearer, it is a really hard venue to to do a production in. The the production team had a very difficult time setting up. There's a lot of challenges there. Everything's temporary, so you got to build tents. There's not a permanent building that anybody can utilize for cricket on the entire site, whereas in Texas there's several, several buildings, and they're all big. And and so there's so many challenges with Church Street that that were just so obvious, but it looked amazing on TV. It looked incredible on TV. But the fact that we have this venue in Dallas, in the Dallas area, Grand Prairie, which has raised the bar so much is a really, really, really good thing. Because now, you know, before I used to think, man, if we could just have six Church Street parks around the country, well, think about how how great cricket would be here. And I still believe that. But if we could have six Dallas venues around the country, that would be even more amazing. You know, because it would be plug and play. You just come, you just like it would be so much easier to run these events. With a venue like Dallas, just um, reproduced all around the country. So I like that the Dallas venue has raised the bar and raised the standard uh, of cricket in the USA, uh, even if that means that Church Street Park is a little closer to being obsolete.
0: Obsolete seems uh, a strong word for what is a fantastic venue. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm going to get. I, I definitely use it a little bit of. Uh, that's the extreme end of it all. Uh, obviously, Church Street Park is far from obsolete. It's always going to be purposeful. It's always going to have a great purpose in this country if it can be recognized at, for that sort of thing. And we know that USA has turned away opportunities to play events, Cricket World Cup League Two, homestands at Church Street Park. They've turned it away because they don't want to pay to manage the crowds. They've turned it away because they know more, too many people will show up.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole. The, the U.S. treatment of Morrisville is a, another question. Uh, which, I mean, if you're going to get even more people coming in to Dallas, does that mean they won't play at Dallas either for U.S. home games? I, I don't know. It kind of raises some some interesting questions there.
1: Well, no, because Dallas is easier to it's maintain. It's easier to – literally, you just open up the doors. You hire a few people to handle it. You don't have to set up a fence every time. You don't have to set up a tent every time for the for, for the broadcast. You don't have to set up tents for the for the umpires or tents for the the players to change their clothes. All that stuff's built right into the stadium there. So you really just have to like turn the lights on. So that's why Dallas has a huge advantage. I mean, th- th- we're talking about very simple level
0: problems. that Church Street Park's always going to have. Well, in in that case, you know, they've built three thousand extra seats but they, they haven't built any of the other infrastructure. That, I don't know. Does, does it make sense to you? This is,
1: I would count this as what didn't work was, yes, my understanding of the renovations and the upgrades to Church Street Park included permanent broadcast infrastructure, changing rooms or expanded bathrooms, and some infrastructure other than just seats. And what we got was actually still pretty good. We, we've got a practice wicket area. We got an area where we... Where batters can and bowlers can practice, and we've got you know a, a nice bus loop where the buses can pull up and unload people, and we have 1,500 seats. It's actually 1,500 permanent seats there. So those are all good things. They're definitely improvements to the ground. But what we don't have is a permanent place where the cameras can be mounted above the sight screen, which we learned this week. This past, I mean, obviously we knew this, but we learned we were missing. Uh, so badly this past weekend when we started minor league cricket, we did our first games at minor league cricket and now we don't have in the past major league cricket has paid for scissor lift on either end to go behind the sight screen so that our cameras have terrific camera angles for our minor league games. I mean, our minor league games uh, tend to have better broadcast quality than a cricket world cup league two. Match, which isn't the hardest thing in the world to pull off. I mean, Yeah, I was about to say that's a pretty low bar. Yeah, it's a lo- it's a low bar, but we tend to have, and part of the reason is because we have these great camera angles from right above the side screen, and we we don't have the opportun we don't have the option to do that this year because we don't have the premium streams, for example, this year. Last year we had a traveling truck that would go around the country and feature. Uh, the different communities, and we would have beautiful production. We'd have excellent production quality with with very good commentary. Nikodem Chandani was involved in that. Uh, Suhas was involved in that. So we had yeah, every week there was at least you know three or four games every weekend that were that would have premium quality. Minor league doesn't have that now, and this to me I'm gonna factor this into what didn't work for MLC. Because why are we going into minor league now right after major league, and we're taking a step back with minor league? Obviously. We know why they didn't play the, when they were supposed to play minor league. It was supposed to happen earlier in the summer. We know that that got canceled because of the holdup with USA Cricket, who were, uh, I don't even know what to, what to call it. They were holding minor league hostage, basically, not sanctioning the, the tournament. So that canceled the first half of minor league cricket. But now we went right from major league cricket to five days later into minor league cricket, and the contrast is so stark. And this is to me. I'm gonna count this as what didn't work because I'm really, dis- I'm actually pretty disappointed by this. And uh, it's fair to say that minor leagues taken a, a step back. Sure, it was gonna take a backseat after major league because it now lo- it's no longer the shiny new new toy. You know, major leagues the shiny new toy, and it needs to be shiny, and it needs to be. It's gonna stand on its own, and it has stood on its own. And unfortunately, that is contrasting the the lack of investment, it appears, in minor league cricket this year is contrasting starkly against the incredible scenes and sights of major league cricket, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, that is, that is something that I was interested in hearing your thoughts about was, and I guess we can just jump to it now, you know, now that minor league is back underway, you mentioned some of the, I guess, uh, limitations of minor league becoming apparent in contrast to major league. I am interested in, you know, where is minor league going? I I know there's some, I don't know if tension is the right word, but certainly uh, a lot of the franchise owners don't seem particularly interested in the connections between the two. And they kind of view it as more of a chore than a a genuine part of the same product. Whereas, you know, you, you talked about the minor league baseball thing. Uh, it is a lot more common in minor league baseball for, you know, players to move up and down between the major league and the minor league for players to be, you know, it, it, it it's it's all sort of viewed as one entity, you know, the, the main team and all its feeder teams. Whereas there doesn't seem to be that connection with minor league uh, in the cricket context.
1: That's true. And even minor league baseball has been defunded to a degree. You know, we lost 40 minor league baseball teams over the last, uh, you know, during COVID. There were 40 minor league baseball teams just disappeared uh, because major league baseball basically decided to Um, consolidate a little bit and uh, now put that in 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 some kind of context there were already there were I think 180 minor league baseball teams or something and now there's 140 so there's a lot of minor league baseball teams baseball has several levels uh, on the on the ladder to get it to get up to major league baseball and you just take a young player who's 18 years old you plug him into the lowest level and you make him work his way up And that's how baseball works. Well, they took away some of these teams along these levels. And these teams affiliate, they're independent to a degree, but they affiliate themselves with a Major League team. So, for example, the team you got to see when you came here was the Durham Bulls who are currently affiliated with the Major League Tampa Bay Rays. They used to be affiliated with the Atlanta Braves, so it's not unusual for a Minor League Baseball team to change its affiliations based on how they feel the partnership is working for them in in a slew of different ways.
0: Well yes and that's the example I was drawing on was that you mentioned that one of the guys playing in the in the match we watched was a Rays player who was sort of coming back from injury so he's playing a few games in minor league to you know to get back on on his feet before he moves back into the major league you know, so that sort of thing just obviously that's not necessarily going to work in the same way uh, with with a you know the major league being a, a limited limited league but
1: it can it can work to to some extent it can work in some of the same ways now it's not going to work like for example minor league some of these minor league teams have such a good draw right like the durham bulls they do a very good job they have a great venue they have a lot of fans that come to watch their games so the durham bulls can can at, at the end of their contract with the rays they can look at the Rays' talent in the Rays' uh farm system and they can look at other teams that that whose contracts have ended and they can say hmm well, we want to terminate our contract with the Tampa Rays because they haven't drafted very well over the last three or four years. So we're going to sign up instead with, uh, I don't know, the Baltimore Orioles or something like that. And this does happen in minor league baseball. Now, that sort of thing would not really, I mean, you're not going to have that kind of clout in in minor league cricket, you know. But what would really be great is if these, um and this is going to take rule changes for the league, for both major league and minor league cricket. It's going to... Take the league to say, well, we're going to make our rules about team selection uh, so that these major league teams have to actually invest in minor league, right? So if, if you say, for example, the whole reason to uh, to affiliate in major league baseball is because you want your players to go through through a system that includes this particular team, right? So. You you know, all of your AAA-level players are going to play for the Durham Bulls. And it would be nice to have some sort of reinforced affiliation. This is going to be done – this would be done with a draft rule, for example. So right now we've got – we don't know what the retention policy is going to be for, for Major League Cricket. Are you Are the teams going to be able to retain all of their players that they drafted if they want? Or are they going to have to put some back in the draft pool? And why would you – in, in American professional sports, you don't draft players that are already pros. The, the, they're all free, free agents once their contract expires. You draft players who are, who are not yet pros to be, make them into pros. So if the major league cricket draft changes to, well, we're going to draft 17- and 18-year-olds, and then we're going to place them in minor league teams, or we're going to affiliate with their minor league teams in some way, and make make it so that those minor league teams will play the guys that we drafted. We have to make sure that they play those guys. You know, that's the motivation that, that major league teams are going to have to have in order to affiliate with the minor league teams. And also, you know, every one of these major league teams has a high-performance partner. You know, we mentioned the IPL-branded teams. Well, the non-IPL-branded teams are already affiliated with, with a high-performance partner, and that Washington is a good example. They're affiliated with New South Wales. And uh, San Francisco is affiliated with Victoria. So if you want to incentivize New South Wales into investing in minor league cricket, well, minor league cricket's going to have to make some rules that make that a, a, a lure for, for New South Wales by saying something like, okay, Look, um, these teams. Yes, we have a rule that says you can only have one overseas per playing eleven in minor league cricket. But if you're an affiliated team, we'll let you have two. And if one of them's under the age of 23, and that that would say to New South Wales, oh wow, great, I can pick a U23 player in my setup that I that that, that will be happy playing overseas during our winter, and I can send them over to minor league cricket to help develop them. You know, something like that would have to take place. You, you would have to create, you have to create the incentives for the collaborations and affiliations to happen. And you've got to get creative with the rules in, in order to do that. And and major league cricket is going to have to be firm with their rules, uh, uh, with minor league cricket. They're going to have to be forward thinking with their rules. And, and these minor league owners are just throwing money down a the hole. They know they are. So give them something back. Honestly, most of these owners are going to throw money down a hole at cricket anyways. It's not coming back to them in one way or another. They may as well do it for the greater good, which is what they're doing now. If if they're investing in minor league cricket, but we need to not allow minor league cricket to 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 just fall by the wayside and, and be something that doesn't matter anymore now that major league cricket's here. That's very important. And I don't think that that's I don't think major leagues like ah we don't care about minor league anymore. I just think that there's a lot of fatigue there are people like i said that work on both projects there's not as many people working on minor league now as there used to be because it used to be everyone worked on minor league cricket now it's it's not as many people not as many resources major league cricket was already spread thin in the first place they're spread even thinner now that you know they probably don't have the money to hire new people to to uh, do everything that needs to be done which is clear because everyone does so many things so that's the trick right now to me is Can you sustain minor league cricket? Can you make it so that the minor league cricket owners continue with with minor league cricket? And can you affiliate major league to minor league, which is only going to help the domestic product here in the USA? And I think the closest team to doing this, to taking a step in the direction of supporting minor league cricket, and supporting domestic cricket, I think the closest team to that is, is the Washington uh, Freedom. Based on my discussions with the various ownership groups and management groups of these teams, I think the Washington team is the one that, that is closest to doing this.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, ideally, the point of these connections is that you have the Major League for, you know, a few weeks per year. but The Minor League runs for months at a time, and, and that can sort of sustain the interest, and because you know let's say you're a new fan who's just discovered cricket you watch the major league two weeks later it's finished well now what you know what do you do for the other 50 weeks of the year well ideally minor league is there to step in and and you know fill that gap and and you'll have a local team to follow so that's kind of the the idea at least as far as i can see that minor league should be filling that role yeah, and,
1: and really, I mean, obviously a lot of people consider my, minor league to be some niche thing that, that like only nerds
0: like myself are going to like really love. I don't think that's entirely true, and I think... Well, and especially since there's so many teams representing cities that don't have a major league team. That's true, and also so
1: many of those teams that have major league players on their team playing for them. So there's 60 major league cricketers that are domestics, and I believe like something like 59 of them play in, in minor league cricket. And and they're spread all around the country. Of course, there's the one team, the uh, that right now Dallas Mustangs have eight major league cricketers, which is crazy. Like they're they're clearly the favorite team in the league right now. I mean, it's as far as finishing in first place you know, or le- winning the league, they've got to be the favorites. The winning the team last year had six major leaguers on the team. So yeah, it's it's. Yes, th- these, this is an incredibly important thing. A minor league cricket is incredibly important, and I don't think anybody listening to this from from uh, major league cricket uh, is going to think wrongly of me emphasizing how important it is or, or how it, they need to step it up, you know, with minor league. And I, like I said, minor league I don't believe is going anywhere, but it, it just it, we can't we can't slack on it now. And here's a really good example of of the potential of minor league thanks to Major League, is I post my Minor League Cricket Show episodes uh, on the Major League Cricket Network on YouTube. And within like five hours, my first episode of Minor League Cricket was, was po- published last week, at, um, you know, about three or four days after Major League Cricket ended. And uh, within the first hour, that got more views than like my previous like two or three videos put together. Within the first like five hours. And it says minor league cricket show across the top. I'm not tricking anybody by putting any weird thumbnails on there. You know, I'm not like, you know, it, it's, it's specifically about minor league cricket. It got way more views. So, and that's just people coming from major league who, who, who are still hungry for more of the same thing. So yeah, I think that this is a great opportunity for major league cricket to kind of like give minor league cricket a boost by if you're going to throw everybody back into the minor league within a week of the major league season ending then you you have to be ready to support it you have to be ready to back it and and give it what it deserves
0: um so i guess moving back to the the on-field performances and and you know we're talking about those domestic players the award for the best US domestic player uh was announced and in a very nice touch i thought it was named after Bart King Who's obviously the legendary American bowler who played for Philadelphia, played a bunch of first class cricket, toured England a number of times, and took tons and tons of wickets around the turn of the century, sort of early 1900s era. So nice to see him recognised, and he'd be probably quite happy to see a fellow seam bowler in Cameron Gannon pick up the award. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Cameron Gannon was very good
1: during Major League Cricket, he was very reliable. For his team, his team obviously made it to the final, and, and they leaned on him quite a bit. Personally, my own, I mean, not to take anything away from Cameron Gannon or his accomplishments, my own preference would have been Sorab to get it, because I felt like his wickets were more important. I felt like his, he performed in more important phases of the game uh, and took bigger wickets for his team and had a bigger impact, I felt, on his team's outcomes, even though they didn't have as great outcomes as making it to the final. I felt like he was just a better-performing domestic. And also, you know, I got a soft spot for him. I got I to gotta admit it. I mean, like, you know, I think everybody who, who follows USA Cricket loves Saurabh Netravalkar, and we all – nobody's surprised when he does well. He always does well. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean and, – and, and there were a lot of complaints that, like, Cameron Gatt, Gannon, who doesn't – as I mentioned earlier, there's 59 of the 60 players – in major league cricket that are domestics that play in minor league and the one that doesn't is Cameron Gannon so counting a lot of people had a problem considering him for the award as a domestic but really I, I don't really have a problem with it uh, I, I don't want to have too many definitions of who's what you know he can he qualifies for the USA team he's played for USA yes he he doesn't play domestic cricket in the USA so it's kind of weird in that regard but I don't have a problem with him winning it at all. Uh, I talked to him um, briefly a couple of times, and he does seem interested in playing for USA again, which there was a lot of question about that. Um, a lot of people ask me have asked me that question. Do you think Cameron Gannon wants to play for USA? And I think he does. I think he wants to play international cricket. But um, you, when you come from a cricketing nation like Australia... And you play in like the BBL there, and you perform at a high level in Australia. You have certain expectations for your for your cricket and for your treatment. And I I don't think that we can really blame anybody from that situation for if they didn't want to play associate cricket on the international stage. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a it's a gr- brutal and grueling way of playing cricket and uh yes it, it is international and that that does come with prestige and that, that that is something that players dream about you know being involved in world cups and things like that but you know if he didn't want to play for USA I wouldn't blame him <laughs> but but he did say that he did say that he's very interested in it
0: yeah and, and just to talk about Serb Netravolko just for a minute i i agree I, I really enjoy watching him bowl i think he he's a very smart bowler and i think that was borne out with he had the second best Economy rate of anyone in the top ten wicket takers, and he he took more wickets than people like uh, Rashid Khan, who who had a better economy rate, or or Nosh Kenjige who also had a better economy rate. But um yeah, he he just he bowls within himself really effectively. He he uses the conditions, he uses his angle, he he just gets a little bit of movement. He he's just a really solid seam bowler. So. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree that I, I would certainly appreciate. I think Netra deserves a bit more recognition. And, you know, he's toiled very hard in a pretty thankful task, opening the bowling for the US uh, for, for a number of years now. And, um, you, you know, a very unstable American team and, and unstable American cricket administration. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with Netra contribution to American cricket. Um, I, I think just on that, you know, Where does USAC sit in all of this? Because this is uh, this project, you know, Major League Cricket is not a USAC project. Uh, We heard rumblings not too long ago of refusals to sanction it before it happened. You know, there's there's always kind of uh, internal bickering between the USAC people and the Major League people. So I, I just, you know, now that Major League has been such a success, do you think? USAC are, you know, going to see the error of their ways and, and get on the train, or are they going to keep sort of uh, being being a thorn in their side? Um,
1: I I think some of that depends on what you. There there's always the chance that, that the USA, yes, the, a lot of their behavior looks like it's it's purposeful. Like they never even mentioned Major League Cricket on any of their socials the entire tournament, not once. Not once did they even retweet anything that had to do with Major League Cricket. They didn't acknowledge it in the slightest. And uh, obviously when you com- combine that with the fact that they didn't sanction it for so long, and in fact, they announced this, they had, had a, a sanctioning announcement, which was hilarious. In the middle of Major League Cricket, they had a sanctioning announcement where they were like, USA Cricket announces the sanctioning of the following tournaments. And it listed Major League and Minor League Cricket, which I thought was kind of funny. You know, while this is going on, uh, they announced the sanctioning of it. But that was the only time they even acknowledged it. The, and they they announced the sanctioning of several other tournaments, you know, super-duper Bangladeshi League or whatever. <laughs> you, you know, I think uh, it's it's tempting to say that, oh, wow, they got it out for Major League Cricket. But also, it's just as tempting to say they're just incompetent and they just forgot or they just didn't think of it. It's like both of those things are equally possible. Uh,
0: yeah, it,
1: and, and it's 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 uh that's the thing though any of us could have written out how this we could have written the script for this because here's how it went you know they get in they finally got sanctioned they have the tournament uh usa never acknowledges it one bit probably responses no no any communication that i'm sure people messaged them emailed them about major league cricket i doubt they responded to a single correspondence at all then when we have the final he, down in Dallas, guess who's on the stage? Guess who's happily out there, you know, getting their picture taken when certain people get awards? Guess who's out there, you know, with their face uh, in front of the cameras? The USA cricket board is there. I saw a bunch of them there at the final. So many of them. And I'm like, wow, this is absolutely, <laughs> this is absolutely hilarious. But we knew this would happen. We knew it would happen. And, and shame on them for having no shame whatsoever. But, uh, you know, in short, sure, I mean, I'm I'm not, I'm this is not me crapping on every single member of the board. Obviously, they're lumped together because they're the board. But you know, there are certain individuals who who, who um people should know who I'm talking yeah, about.
0: Yeah, um certain individuals who are very uh, litigious. We can we can just leave it at that. Um, I think we've more or less covered the major leagues. So I, I think that's a pretty good place to end the show. Uh, there's these people who you know the balls in their court as it were and we're just we're just waiting and uh, thanks a lot for your time Nate Hayes and, and thank you for sharing all your thoughts
1: yeah anytime I love talking to you Nick and it's, it's been a great time and I haven't been able to contribute as much with emerging cricket lately so I've been really looking forward to this chat
0: yeah I, I think I think this more than makes up for it uh, at least in terms of volume and uh, you know the amount of things you have to say it's, it's sort of like you're, you're just getting it all down at once
1: yeah that's true that's pretty much what this was was just you know i'm sure i'll think of about 10 things i missed
0: but yes thank you nate and thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the emerging cricket podcast uh, remember that you can of course keep up to date with all the latest news and events in the emerging cricket world by following emerging cricket on your favorite social media platforms or logging on to emergingcricket.com. That's it for now and we wish you all the best wherever you are around the cricketing world.